0: to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Uh, going to be a quick episode this week. I'm recording this late Monday night right after Miami's 4-3 come from behind win over the San Francisco Giants to start their three-game series at Lone Depot Park. Big win, their sixth win in their past eight games. Jorge Soler hit a monstrous pinch hit go-ahead home run in the seventh against Logan Webb, who coincidentally Soler has never had a hit against. 0-for-10 with seven strikeouts entering Monday's game. More on that later in the episode, more on Solar specifically and that game as a whole. There are a couple other topics, one really good and one not so much that I want to discuss first. The good, Luis Arias, which feels like just about anything he does has been very positive. Uh, Luis Arias on Tuesday in Philadelphia hit for the first cycle in Miami Marlins history came in the franchise's 4,700th game, and it just it made sense that Arias would be the guy who would be able to make that accomplishment. Professional hitter, seems to find a way to get hit every single at-bat that he takes, and he did it on Tuesday by hitting a double in the third inning, hitting a triple in the fifth inning, hitting a home run in the seventh, and then finishing it with a single in the eighth inning. Kind of felt... Funny when he was a single away because that's his primary thing is just getting his base hits. So once he had the first three and had all the extra base hits out of the way, I just started thinking to myself, he gets up one more time. He's going to do it. And he did something that no other Marlins player has been able to do. And with that, just some notable stats, just to add some extra perspective on what Luis Arias was able to do. Uh, 264 times Marlins players have been at least one hit away 111 times that a player in major league baseball has hit for a cycle since the Marlins played their first ever game on April 5th, 1993 over these 30 plus years before the Marlins finally broke through. Uh, The, the, in addition to that 111, 11 different players have hit multiple cycles before the Marlins got their first one. Uh, Luis Arraiz, he's also the sixth Venezuelan player to hit for the cycle. The others were Eduardo Escobar last year, Pablo Sandoval in 2011, Carlos Gonzalez in 2010, Carlos Guillen in 2006, and Cesar Tovar in 1972. And also, three cycles were hit against the Marlins before they got their first cycle. The three hitters to do it were Todd Helton in 1999, Cody Bellinger in 2017, and Freddie Freeman in 2021. And just back to a rise, he's up to 25 hits already on the season. And again, we're only 17 games into the year. He's hitting over 470 still or hovering right around the 470 mark. He's just doing what he needs to do. And the Marlins, which... I have been intrigued by after the first week or so when they weren't getting what they need in the win-loss column, they moved a rise out of the leadoff spot and moved him into the number three hole, moved jazz from clean up to number one. And then they've been having Garrett Cooper and Jorge Soler bouncing between two and four, depending on who's in the lineup, what the best matchup is. And with a rise, it makes sense. If you have either of those two guys, whoever's batting first and second, get on base there's a very good chance that Luis Arias is going to be able to drive him in. So even though he's not your prototypical three-hole hitter, it makes sense for what this Marlins lineup is and what the Marlins need from this group in order to scratch across enough runs for to be able to give their pitching staff enough support. And speaking of the starting pitching staff, the majority of the rotation's been doing great. Uh, Jesus Lizardo has been dominant through four starts. Edward Cabrera finally bounced back and had a good outing. Trevor Rogers had his best outing of the year over the weekend against Arizona. Braxton Garrett has filled in nicely in the number five spot since Johnny Coyo got hurt. And then there's the ace, Sandy Alcantara. His early go of the season hasn't been very ace-like or what the expectations are for him. After having two dominant seasons capped by the Cy Young Award winning season in 2022, he does have a three-hit shout-out to his name. That was in his second start against the Minnesota Twins. But outside of that, the results just haven't been there yet. He has a 5.84 ERA over his four starts. It's the seventh worst among 60 qualified pitchers through games played on Monday, through games played Monday. And again after the complete game shutout he has he's given up 13 runs 12 earned runs over just 10 innings combined in his two starts against the Philadelphia Phillies and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now with that said, it's four starts, the Marlins over aren't overly concerned yet, Sandy himself isn't overly concerned yet. But with that said, there are a few underlying stats that I'm paying attention to and I'm pretty sure the Marlins are paying attention to as well as they move forward that they're going to want to see change for if Sandy is going to right the ship. Uh, the big one for me that stood out is teams are really hitting his changeup hard early. It was The changeup was not just Sandy's best pitch last year. It was one of the best pitches in baseball, period. When you look at a bunch of stack cast metrics, uh, they use a metric called run value, which determines how many more runs than average a specific pitch is worth. Throughout the season, Sandy's was a minus 25, which means 25 less runs were scored on average against that changeup versus the rest of baseball. And on some of the more basic numbers, opponents only hit 175 against it last year. 78 of his 270, 207 strikeouts came on that pitch. He didn't give up a home run against the changeup. So far in the season, And again, it's a smaller sample size. Yes, I know it's been his least efficient pitch. Opponents are hitting 304 against it, the highest batting average against of any of Sandy's four pitches. The average exit velocity of balls and plays against the changeup, 92.1 miles per hour. Last year, it was 84 or 84.1. The average launch angle on balls and play against the changeup, 10 degrees, which is essentially line drives. Last year, it was negative five degrees. So more often than not, Alcantara is getting ground ground balls with the changeup, so if you balls are getting hit harder and they're getting elevated, that's just going to lead to more hits and the line drives and less ground balls. That applies to everything with Sandy so far. Seventy five balls in play against him, twenty nine point three percent of those have been line drives. That's the high. If that rate continues, it's the highest of his career since joining the Marlins rotation full time in twenty nineteen. And he's only gained ground balls at about a 41% rate, which is the lowest of his career since joining the rotation full-time in 2019. Last year, during that Cy Young season, 54.2% of balls in play against him were ground balls. 18.9% were line drives. Obviously, we're seeing those numbers trend in the opposite directions. Not ideal, but let's see what pitching coach Mel Steinmeier Jr. is able to do to work with Sandy. Let's see what Sandy's able to do. To figure things out. And also, not just the physical and the mechanics. Uh, Alcontra needs to figure things out potentially mentally as well. Yours was, you look at the sixth inning of his story on Sunday against Arizona, uh, ground ball to Garrett Cooper at first base. Cooper makes the play, flips the ball to Sandy, to who's covering first. Alcontra misses the catch. Josh Rojas, not only safe, but makes it to second base. And then next thing you know, Alcontra gave up three consecutive run-scoring hits that resulted in a four-run inning. He said after the game that he got frustrated when he didn't make the play he was supposed to, covering the base, and he got mad and potentially let the mistake carry over into the ensuing at-bats, the ensuing rest of his outing. And if Alcantara is going to let these types of things spiral, it's not going to work out well for him. So he needs to figure those things out. And he also needs to figure out some spots of location as well. Uh, He's throwing where he needs to in the zone, but hitters are getting a lot more aggressive with him. They're swinging at more than three quarters of his pitches that are in the zone and they're making contact on 81% of those swings. And also they're not chasing as much. So if Alcantara is not able to get them to chase and they're hitting what's in the zone, what he's throwing for strikes, it again goes back to, what goes into what makes Sandy Alcantara successful. He's a guy who has been successful when he gets weak contact and when he's able to get them to hit the ball on the ground. He needs to find a way to get back to that in order to revert back to the ace that the Marlins know he is, that they are confident he's going to continue to be, and the guy to finish out rounding out that rotation. And there's one stat that really... Is eye popping to me again. The Marlins, as the time of this recording, are nine and eight on the season. They're one and three in Sandy's four starts, so they are eight and five in the games when Sandy Alcantara doesn't start. That just—it's mind boggling to me, but it's also a tip of the cap to what the Marlins are doing, and the fact that they have a winning record despite the fact that their ace hasn't been living up to his potential and the expectations surrounding him through through his first four starts of the season. And now to go back to circle back to what I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Soler. Uh, We know the struggles he had last year, only hit 207, only played 72 games while dealing with the back issue. Uh, Didn't produce as that middle of the order run producer that the Marlins were hoping and needing him to be when they signed him ahead of the 2022 season. We're finally starting to see glimpses of that, of what he can be for this team. He has five home runs this year and six doubles. That's 11 extra base hits in 15 games. Both of those marks lead the team along with his 10 RBI and his seven run score tied with Luis Ariz for most on the team. And again, this is all through Monday's slate of games. And it's not just like he's hitting home runs in garbage time or in moments that don't matter. Four of his five home runs have either been go-ahead home runs or game tying home runs, and this includes both of his home runs over the past week. Look at his what he did Wednesday against Philadelphia Phillies. Marlins were down two to the one, facing Jose Alvarado. Takes a hundred mile an hour pitch, sends it straight to center field. Tie game. Marlins end up winning game extra extra innings to take the series. On Monday, Marlins are down. Marlins are down three to two. Jorge Soler nine in the lineup again. Going back to his struggles against Logan Webb over 10, seven strikeouts in his career against Webb. They get a run. They get runners on base. Gene Segura gets a base hit. Jesus Sanchez moves him over the third with a single through the left, a single down the third base line in the left field. Uh, Nick Fortes then grounds it to a double play. Marlins have Segura still on third, but two outs uh, Marlins go to Solaire to hit with Webb still in the game. And, Takes a sl- takes a change up for strike one, a slider that was in just enough in the strike zone. He's able to take it to center field, a four hundred thirteen foot bomb to send the Marlins give the Marlins their first and only lead of the game before the bullpen shut things out. And it's just what the Marlins are needing those clutch hits that eluded them a lot last year and early in the season during their two series with the Mets and at points with some of their other losses. They're starting to get those clutch hits. Soler has hit a lot of them. Then he's giving the Marlins a lot of value that he didn't give last year and that they're hoping he's able to continue with. He's one of the big boys that, as Skip Schumacher said, they need him to go if the Marlins are going to get where they need to get. And he's providing it early. He's providing it in big spots. Let's see what happens as... This season continues if he's able to keep it up. And, again, it gives the Marlins a pretty good spot to be in. Again, they have a winning record as they went through a very tough gauntlet to start the year. Again, they they played seven games against the Mets. They played three against the Twins, three against Philly, three against Arizona. They're now playing three games against the Giants before going on a road trip to Cleveland and Atlanta, two more playoff-caliber teams. If the Marlins are able to keep their head above water, As they go through the rest through as they finish this homestand with San Fran and then through the next road trip. Scott, there's the Marlins are going to be in a very good spot and it's going to be interesting to see how the next nine games play out to really see where they are as April comes to a close. And to wrap up this week's episode, it's time for our usual minor league report handful of guys that i want to recognize and really and talk about briefly this week first off is going to be infielder giddy Cape, who is playing with high able Beloit right now he was the lead to my minor league column on the miami herald website on monday hitting 294 with a 934 ops two home runs three doubles a triple nine ribbies and six runs scored through his first nine games which includes four multi-hit games and reaching base or driving in a run in eight of his nine outings. He's one of the more intriguing position players from my perspective. And again, this is going to be his first year playing a full minor league season. That starts in April. That's his first two seasons. 2021 started season. Dominican summer league. Again, doesn't start until June, July. Same with last year. He started in the Florida complex league before playing the final 35, 38 games with single a Jupiter He's getting a full run this year, and he's off to a solid start. He's one that I'm going to keep going to be watching. Shortstop, third base, can play both spots well defensively. Shortstop's his natural spot, but with his size, third base might be the move. And also considering the Marlins' depth, where they have, have guys, I mean, you've got guys like Jacob Amaya and Xavier Edwards, who are already up there for some of the middle infield spots. Third base is an area where... They really need need guys behind Jordan Groshans to sort of start building that depth there. And speaking of one of their top shortstops, Nassim Nunez, he's known for, as we know, his glove, his defense, his speed. He showed some pop this week. Uh, He hit two home runs over the past uh, or so far through nine games this season. And that's after having just two career home runs through 816 at bats in his first three seasons. And he's still doing everything else. Switch hitter, uh, has at least one hit in seven of his first nine games. He's also drawn six walks, stolen two bases, scored seven runs, and nobody's concerned about his defense. He's gold glove caliber out there. And if he's able to add some power and and be able to do that in addition to his high contact rate, that just adds some more value to what Nassim Nunez can bring long term as he continues his development. And sticking in double A, uh, when I look through the rotation, obviously Dax Fulton, Yuri Perez, they're one, they're one and two in terms of this, maybe not the right word, Yuri's one, Dax is two. But number three pitcher in that double A rotation, Patrick Montverde. Thirteen scoreless innings through two starts. He's allowed two hits, he's walked two, he has struck out 19 of the forty two batters he has faced. Nineteen of forty two. He's the Marlins' number 30 prospect. He's a crafty lefty, as ever as you call them. Uh, he has two fastballs, a four-seam and a two-seam that both, again, the fastball's not going to wow you only 89 and 92, but his changeup and his slider, both in the low 80s, he's able to change speeds. He's able to work both sides of the plate. He's able to locate, and he's getting the effective results early. And when you're able to – early on show up two of the top prospects in the organization two of the top pitching prospects in baseball. That's a good sign. Let's see what Montverde is able to do as he continues building on. And then lastly, Peyton Burdick, he just, he continues to rake. He's up to seven home runs through his first 14 games with Triple A Jacksonville. That's one shy of the minor league lead entering this week. 11 of Burdick's 20 hits so far have been for extra bases. In addition to the seven home runs, he has four doubles. And that goes with a 351 batting average, 422 on base percentage, and 789 slugging slash line, 15 RBI, 15 runs scored. One would imagine when the Marlins need that first outfielder to be called up, Burdick is most likely going to be the guy to get the call. He probably was going to be the guy, regardless, just because he. Has the longest track record of any of the Marlins outfielders in the minors. Uh, got a pretty good run last year, toward the end of last season. Jarron Carnacion also got some time, but he still needs some polishing. So Peyton Burdick, probably that first guy whenever the Marlins need a call. But for right now, he's raking. He's got the hot bat. And let's see how that continues. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Fights. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in. I will be back again next week. Thanks so much.